Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers. A views of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Well, before we get to our top story, two quick things. One is we are having a disappearing patron party tomorrow, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern. We have special guests False reality check, Buffalo Rambler and Legs, who I think they're just the kind of people who are not only fun and funny, but they bring out the best in us. So it should be a really, really good time. That's for party level patrons. Check us out on patreon.com slash propaganda report. I have some sad news. I always try to bring a positive thing. I rarely succeed. Um, but I also have been highlighting surprising deaths. And sadly, I've been very successful at finding those. Uh, this is very tragic and um, it's one of my alma maters. So I feel really bad. Katie Meyer, who was a senior at Stanford and the captain of the soccer team, who's regarded widely for her goaltending that led them to the Cardinal is the name of their team to victory in 2019 was found dead in a campus residence today. She was 22, just gorgeous, full of life, young gal, you got to wonder what takes young gals out like that. They are not discussing the cause of death, which does not surprise me. Um, but I just, I think it's important to highlight these things because I feel like there's something going on and might as well stay abreast of it. And I, I think they aren't, they try not to make too much of these weird deaths, but they are happening. Uh, anyway, but what they do make much of very much is uh, the the war in Ukraine. So, Binkley, why don't you lead us off with what you've noticed in an update, and I'll give you what I got. Okay, I noticed a handful of things last night after watching a panel discussion at the Brookings Institution that was yesterday. The discussion was yesterday, and it got me thinking based on what they were talking about. One of the consistent themes that has emerged from all of these think tanks. I've watched a whole bunch of these over the past couple of weeks because all they're talking about is Ukraine and Russia right now. And the most consistent theme is probably that Putin has no off-ramp, that there is really no negotiations anymore, and that being sanctioned is not to try and get him to stop his behavior, but is actually punishment for what he's done. And they seem to just, they seem to will only accept having Putin removed that seems to be the outcome that they desire and that they believe is most optimal here so that they can then install a controllable leader who will submit to the Great Reset or to NATO's demands. They frame this as an invasion of Ukraine, as a takeover of Ukraine. But from their perspective, it seems kind of like this is more of a takeover of Russia with this invasion of Ukraine being what's getting us to that take that NATO takeover of Russia, essentially. That's what he says he's afraid of. And I imagine if they really want this to not continue, they would have to take him out. But I think they provoked this and they wanted it. And there are a lot of reasons I think they do want it. And all the expected reasons are things that are being highlighted daily in the news as things that are actually coming of this totally foreseeable. And I have this thing where you can't call them unintended consequences if they were foreseeable consequences. Maybe they weren't unintended, but you certainly didn't mean they might not have been intended, but you certainly didn't mean to not make them happen if they're foreseeable and they are happening. I'll get into some of those later in the show. Yeah, and we heard one of the Council on Foreign Relations ladies say that NATO in part calls this. She admitted that during a discussion we deconstructed here on Rockfin last night. But 
A couple of other things that I noticed is they're obviously trying to stir the civil unrest in Russia, maybe perhaps like a color-like revolution to try and get the public to turn against Putin. The way they're doing it, though, it doesn't seem to me like the Russian public would respond angry towards, they might be angry towards Putin, but it seems like they would be more angry towards the people who are causing it. I don't know what media they're receiving over there, though. And we have Ukraine doing this by, so they're trying to anger the Russian public by going to Telegram and posting the images of dead Russian soldiers. And it's not just Telegram, it's YouTube, it's Twitter, and these photos apparently show graphic images showing the horrors of war and inviting Russians to examine them to determine whether the images feature a missing loved one. And they show soldiers' corpses that are burned, ripped apart, mangled in wreckage or abandoned in snow. And some, their faces are featured and they're bloody, they're frozen in pain. And other prisoners are interrogated by the captors about the invasion as they shake with emotion. It's, I haven't looked at it. You can go look at it. It is on Telegram. It is, from what this article describes, tough to look at. It's very graphic. And there's, they're questioning whether this actually violates the Geneva Convention which says that governments must at all times protect prisoners of war from insults and public curiosity. And this is inviting public curiosity and the very nature of Telegram and other social media platforms invites insults. Absolutely. Yes. I, that's what they're doing on purpose for sure. And I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the comments that the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov had so many of the things that I had been saying he was saying. And then I started to wonder like, if I've been looking at too much RT at too much Russia today, although when I do go to it, my browser like slows to a crawl. I have noticed that. But one of the things he said is where were the press corps of the world when tens of or 14,000 people were being killed in Donbass? Like where was the press corps then? And I was looking at some of the footage from that time. I just went and I was like, yeah, that's true. I remember when all this stuff was happening, like the footage from that, this war, how can you deny how the U Ukrainian army just laid waste to some of their own territory and innocent civilians and everything. So when I went to look up the images, I was going to share the images. It literally says like, oh, um, Donetsk airport after bombed by Russians. But it wasn't bombed by Russians. It was taken down in a, in a firefight with the Azov uh, battalion of Nazis against the Eastern Ukrainians. But it's just funny because you'll see all that stuff here now, but you weren't seeing it for the past eight years when it was an aggression against a coup installed government um, versus these people who just wanted semi-autonomous rule, which they had been promised. Yeah, the public wasn't draping the flags over uh, of these other countries over themselves when this stuff has happened in the past. Their, t their attention just seems to be focused here, and now they suddenly they care about this one more, and it's become a political divide. It was interesting in this panel discussion, one of the guys said, had it not been for Putin's invasion of Crimea or takeover of Crimea back in 2014, that NATO would have lost its purpose and fallen apart, and that the only reason NATO is where it is today, bigger than ever and more unified than ever and continuing to expand, is because of what Putin did in 2014. And right now, it was almost like a acceptance speech, and he was thanking Putin for getting him to where he, he is right now. Well, I guess that's why they got Putin to do that in 2014. Maybe. I got one other rundown story, and that is there's been a million-dollar bounty for the arrest and, I believe, assassination of Putin. 
A bounty has been put on Putin by a private business citizen who says Putin's a war criminal and he's violating Russian and international laws. And as an ethnic Russian, he it's his moral duty to facilitate the denazification of Russia, which is the terminology ah, Putin ha, is ha, using. Ha. Yeah. And I find it interesting that this is a public citizen putting a bounty on a person since when did it become acceptable for a public citizen to put a bounty on another human being? I mean, yeah. there's people in prison, you go to Craigslist and get a hitman, and they're in jail. They get caught. This guy is doing it and he's being celebrated for yeah, putting a bounty. He's on putting someone. it on Craigslist and getting, yeah, getting it's responses. Just, <laughs> it's just the flip of, of, of yes. morals, you know, yes. it, it's insane. Yeah, it's a total double standard. Yeah. And this is just, the clearest example in my lifetime, anyway, of the kings, so to speak, the rulers using the various publics as pawns in their little schemes, turn, turning them against each other. It's really disgusting. Well, that's another example of the kind of backdoor fascism stuff where you have it's it's legitimate, certainly in our country, legitimate meaning under the law. It is legitimate under the Constitution to issue letters of mark and reprisal, which is what we should have issued against Osama bin Laden instead of invading countries where he wasn't and didn't rule. So if this is a letter of mark or reprisal, okay. But generally speaking, that is not the purview of a private person and it is not leveled against a head of state. But I, I noticed there was a, a movie, it was like Six Degrees, I forget what it was called. And, I, you know, Ryan Gosling, I, I can't, like, a lot of those guys look alike to me. So, but it was one of those, like, original movies on Amazon or Netflix, but it was a big star. And it was some businessman, some oligarch. I talked to you about it on the show because I said, like, it was so weird. There was this oligarch who took his money and went to liberate a country by killing its evil leader. And he did it on his own accord. He did it with his own money. And it was just this private oligarch acting as a world policeman. And I said, this is another example of, uh, of the fascism, the reverse kind of fascism where private enterprise not only gets the mandate to do stuff that the government has asserted a right to do and taken your tax dollars to do, but they're actually now starting to front run law. You know, that fits right in with the Great Reset rule by global cor corporations. Oh, absolutely. It's, yes, it's yes, yes. It, it is. It's a, a weird kind of fashion. That's why I hate any kind of private-public partnership, anything like that. Very bad, very bad, very bad. So should I tell you a little bit about the, some of the things Lavrov said and some of the things yeah. that came out of his um, press conference? So remember yesterday I said it was like weird to me that it seems like most countries in the world, or at least like a lot of countries in the world, are not 100% behind the West in their interpretation of what's happening in Ukraine. I said, I just, I can't, they're not yet in the UN. There was a vote and five, only five countries didn't vote with the US to censure the Russian war and demand an end to hostilities. It was like Eritrea, Syria, North Korea. And I just couldn't really understand that. Then Lavrov happened to address it today saying that he actually knows people personally, because I guess he's the foreign minister, so he knows those diplomats, who have kids studying in the U.S., who have assets in the U.S. I mean, who doesn't? And they are being personally threatened. He said it's absolute blackmail that they feel like this is what those personal sanctions are all about. They're sending a message to these guys that if you vote wrong in the U.N., you personally 
will be hit on this. So that's why it looks like there's this unanimity, but it's because they are being personally threatened. That's what Lavrov said. And it does answer the question that I was like, that doesn't seem right to me. It would make sense to that type of bullying tactic would be used. Absolutely. And especially since it's in New York, I always think like it, like location matters. So he also said, he also went on and on about how Europe is, is literally being run by the U S it is against their interests that, and, and he focused on, which I kind of put on the back burner, even though it was my main focus for the longest time, but it was his, he focused on this specifically that for the U.S. has been trying to get Germany away from Russian gas for the longest time, that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was poised to go into effect, look what happened. They ginned this up now, and the Nord Stream pipeline is off the table. This is, a, it hurts Germany. It hurts the people of Germany. It just shows how the U.S. and their alliance, their English-speaking alliance, doesn't care about Europe, uses it as a pawn. Europe is in harm's way. It's getting the brunt of the energy issue, and it would also get the brunt of the military issue. He says, this is a quote, the European Union has been shown its place. The Nord Stream 2 story has shown perfectly the real place that the EU has on the world stage. And he went on about that actually quite a bit. So a couple more things. He also said, made the point that World War III, I'm not sure if this was in his presser yesterday, but I just saw the headline. World War III will be nuclear in case people did not know that. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, so, you don't have any, really any more threats to go to once you start threatening nuclear. I think you've reached your ceiling of threats. Yeah, I mean, if they're saying that they're going to go with the full force, which they're not yet. And so I was wondering about that. I was wondering why... Why are why why have we not retaliated militarily? And I think the answer is a we have no standing. The U.S. has no standing outside of NATO. We don't share a border. We don't have a treaty with Ukraine, as far as I recall. Uh, we just don't. So they're either in NATO or they're not in NATO. And they're not in NATO. A NATO could actually take action, I believe, if there were a unanimous vote. So. There won't be. It, Turkey, Croatia, last I looked, could be others. They Maybe they switch, but others come in. But there's no way they're getting a unanimous vote on either Ukrainian entry into NATO at this moment or NATO action on behalf of Ukraine at this moment. So NATO is not, that's why they're not acting because it, it's unanimous. It's unanimous. So another thing is, um, I point out, although if you look at the NATO documents, it says that any European nation can join if you do these protocols, blah, blah, blah. Of course, we're not European and we do belong to it. However, uh, that that adds new uh, meaning to the fact that the EU just accepted the application from Ukraine to join the EU. And I think Georgia is doing something similar. Like that's the thing. Ukraine and Georgia are really Russia considers them Russian. And if they are going to go NATO, that's a big, big problem. So they they are taking the steps that they can take, but without unanimity on existing members of NATO, they are not. And, and so I, I think the next step is to kick people out of NATO who don't agree. Like that's, I think, what we'll probably be looking at. And there's another reason. There's another way to coerce people's vote is the threat of getting kicked out of NATO. They're going to support whatever position NATO is. Yeah. Or although, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of NATO and I don't, I, I think people in NATO, the countries in NATO would probably rather be neutral at this point. But another thing that points to why we might be doing this on purpose 
is that NATO has been celebrating or the leadership has been celebrating today. I saw it too, that they have finally gotten people to start actually fulfilling their commitment to spend 2% of GDP on the military. They're excited that Germany is even going to exceed that. Germany is going to remilitarize, which even in the article I was reading, it said that would have sent chills down the spine of anybody a year or two ago. And here, and it took the social Democrats. So Angela Merkel was replaced by a social Democrat. That's like our Democrats. That's the kind of left of center. They're supposed to be kind of like um, uh, against war, amenable to Russia. And it took this guy, whatever, a couple of months, I think. And he's already, uh, he's just our lapdog. The stuff he says is like childish, ridiculous, doesn't even make sense. Um, all right. So I've got a little bit more. And then I can be done for the whole show. You can take it from there. But also another thing Lavrov said was something I had wondered. He was asked, will Yanukovych be brought back? He was the democratically elected governor, uh, president before the coup. He's the one who's been in exile in Russia. Uh, I, I haven't heard any updates since that. I don't think he can leave Russia because they actually have him up on charges for murder. And I'm sure that involves a death penalty or something. And uh, Lavrov said, it's up to the Ukrainian people to decide who leads them. And I would say, yeah, that uh, I doubt they will bring Yanukovych back. That's for sure. Yeah. Did they ever mean that when they say that? They say that to virtue signal. To, it's up to the people to decide who yes. leads them. Yes, yes, of course not. But, um, but I think what he was trying to say is they would have an election. I think yeah. he's saying we weren't, we're not going to restore Yanukovych to power. We're going to have an election. So, um, okay. Oh, by the way, India abstained from that vote. So that's super significant. I don't know if it was on the show yesterday or in Rockfin where I talked about the Indo-Pacific alliance that they were cooking up to kind of, instead of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And it occurred to me since then, that yes, Russia and China, that's an important alliance. That's enough to kind of be a, you know, they can have parallel systems across the board on energy, on finance, everything. And over time, these sanctions won't have any impact on them because they'll have completely substituted. They have the economies of scale for that. But what would be really the difference maker, the tipping point on, on where the power would lay? I think it's if India were to completely join their coalition at the expense of relationship with us, that that might be too far. I don't know how 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 manipulative the West is, how much they're willing to take the second chair in the world power structure. But if they if they really want to push us down, they will let India go fully with Russia and China. However, it looks like they're trying to get a um, Eastern Bloc going, and I mean Eastern Asian Bloc going with India as the anchor. And excluding China. Let's see how that's something to watch for sure. Yeah, they're even showing maps now of the countries that are standing with NATO and the countries that are either neutral or with Russia, which they kind of classify as the same. I'm wondering if we're going to see countries that did not vote the way NATO wants them to vote and either stayed neutral or supported Russia, if we're going to start seeing corporations pull out of those countries. We know how they aren't going to pull out of China because that's yeah, where they well, make money. But that's probably why you don't really have them formally breaking with us. So that map is probably overwhelmingly people, it looks like the West, but that's yeah. not really, a, it is, right? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, and I'm saying, I don't think that's real. They'd have to, that's like one guy in a room voting and that's not necessarily how it would shake out when that guy gets his kids and his assets back within the borders of his country. Or if there's a world war, how many people would actually send their boys to fight? I guess we would pay them to do it. And then, I mean, you can corrupt anybody. It's probably mostly corrupt. But this all could be also why China is an easier catch for Russia in this issue than India is that if they want to actually invade Taiwan, then they have a precedent. And I think they have no justification for Taiwan, whereas I think there was justification with Ukraine. And then um, just one thing, last thing I wanted to mention about all this. Another thing I said yesterday is like everybody you hear speaking English um, with the party line of Ukraine is on the payroll. Now, what I didn't really mean on the payroll, I meant that their interests, I think I might have said this, but if you hear them speaking English saying what um, the West says what CFR says, all that they are, their interests are aligned, but that is not to say that it is just because they've been bought off. A lot of them have been like that chick. You were t brought the clips that made me absolutely crazy last <laughs> night to the deep dive. Ugh, uh, she's been in it the whole time. She's totally deep state or whatever, but a lot of people I knew, um, a neighbor when I was growing up was Catholic Ukrainian. And I think she hated Russians and she certainly hated communists because of the Holodomor, which was the, the intentional starvation of Ukraine by Stalin, the way the English did to Ireland, Russia did to Ukraine. And uh, they, a lot of them will never forget it. So, so you have to think of Ukraine as like, yes, it is a divided place. It was a Frankenstein country in a way. However, you can't say Ukraine gets territorial integrity and it gets to keep the Russian speaking places. So you can either say there's it's territorial integrity, which I don't even believe we've covered that before, but you can say there is a Russia, um, there is a Ukraine that has this patchwork of people, the Russian Orthodox, the Catholics, whatever, and they all vote and you get who you get. You get Yanukovych, who played both sides against the middle. You get Zelensky, who promised to bring a peace to that. Or you say, OK, those we can't accept the democratic outcome because those people voted and they're against us. They're Russian. OK, so then you you break it off. Crimea was semi-autonomous or autonomous the entire time. If they're autonomous, let them go. And then you don't have to abide by a democratic outcome because they don't get to vote anymore. But they never let Donbass go. I think it might be because it has mineral wealth and other stuff like that. But you just can't have it. Um, every which way. So I recognize that there are plenty of people in the West of Ukraine who legitimately are against Russia, but then you have to let Donbass go, which is, I think, what they wanted to do, or at least let them be semi-autonomous. The leadership has never done that. I think it's because they've all been puppets. Well, yeah, I think there's been a lot of puppets. I think that's really what these these big global organizations want is puppets. They don't want individuality. They don't want people questioning things. So we, we get these these battles. And a story here that relates to something you were saying a moment ago. We're talking about not, not sending troops in. But here's what we are doing. Here's what the Justice Department is doing. They have launched a special unit to enforce the Russia sanctions. And Biden mentioned this during his State of the Union speech, speech the other night. The Unit is known as Task Force Klepto Capture. Klepto Capture, really? Because <laughs> they're trying to steal Ukraine. And, and that is what that guy on the CFR said in that clip we played. He said, basically, we stole three billion dollars or three hundred million, whatever it was, from Ukraine, and they didn't do anything about it. Ha 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 ha. 
But that was us being the kleptos. Yeah, I think right. they're saying that Putin is the klepto, right? I mean, that might might be a double meaning. They're they're you can assume it's Putin or you can assume it's them because they're gonna be going around trying to enforce the sanctions. And what this task force is gonna be doing is they're gonna be investigating and prosecuting current and future sanctions resulting from the Ukraine invasion. That will include combating illegal efforts to undermine the restrictions on Russian financial institutions, targeting efforts to use cryptocurrency to evade sanctions, and using both civil and criminal asset forfeiture authority to seize assets belonging to individuals subject to sanctions. Attorney General Merrick Garland said that the new task force will target those whose criminal acts enable the Russian government to continue this unjust war. Now, right there, I ask, what is the definition of a criminal act? Is somebody who shares something on social media who questions the narrative we're being told over there? Because when somebody does that, we're told that it's Russian propaganda. Is that considered a criminal act? Will your assets be seized if you do something like that? But it's just supporting a criminal act, right? Yeah, yeah, just supporting a criminal criminal act. act. So if Russia's doing the criminal act, and if you support it... Yeah. Which... And here's what he... Here's another thing he said. They're they're saying this task force is going to call upon the FBI and U.S. Marshals, as well as law enforcement components of other departments, including the Secret Service, the IRS, the Postal Inspection Service, and Homeland Security Investigations, are all going to be going into foreign countries doing investigations. Can you just show up in a foreign country? Hi, we're here to investigate you. This is sending global police around the world. So we might not be sending troops, but we're sending FBI agents. We're sending others to go over there and investigate. And Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said, oligarchs, be warned. We will use every tool to freeze and seize your criminal proceeds. Looks like we're sending world police around. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and that goes right with what Lavrov was saying about the people who were voting in favor of this censure against Russia because they feel personally threatened. If, if, our, if our reporting on the news and the way that we're doing it to the best of our ability with the information that is available to us and casting further afield to see both sides of the story, it's quite possible that they would say, I mean, that's, isn't, didn't every... A president from the beginning put people in jail, journalists in jail for sedition, for just reporting on a war, not in keeping with what the military and the president wanted the narrative to be. Does that mean that we would lose our assets? I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if they shut off our PayPal and stuff, but could they actually reach into bank accounts? That's what they did. They froze the bank accounts of those Canadian truckers. These are all precedents. Yeah. So we are seeing that. You're right. We're seeing that on a global scale with Russia, and we're seeing it happen to individuals who are part of these protests and anti-mandate things. Very interesting stuff. Before we get to our deepest dive of the day, where we will try to get to the bottom of the claims of Nazis in Ukraine, I want to tell you about what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is the human rights industry, take two, and meet your new smart doctor. But before we get to all of that, please consider supporting the show. It's a win-win for us and for you as well. We get the support we need to continue providing free DNBs to thousands of listeners daily, and you get tons of extra content, all commercial-free. And also, we have a DPP this week for our patron community, patron.com slash propaganda report. If you join at the truth sponge level this week, then you can go to the Patreon party 
even if you're not in the higher tier. So just all basic levels who join up this week can attend the party. Is that correct, Monica? Yes, it is. And I will also invite uh, people who have subscribed through our channel on Rockfin. So I'll include for Rockfin subscribers at this week's DPP. If you if you join Rockfin today, I'm not sure it will register quickly enough, but I will try. And if you're looking for the DPP link, just email me at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com and I'll I'll check it right before the DPP and I'll make sure you get it. That's patreon.com slash propaganda report, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And don't forget to support the show by supporting our sponsors. You can check out the shop tab on the propreport.com for a list of some of our recent sponsors and promo codes. And now on to the deepest dive of the day. You know me, I want for the deepest dive of the day to find a story of the day and just go deep. So the Wall Street Journal had uh, a, an article today by a guy whose real name I always forget because I can't stand him so much. He's such a propagandist that I just, it sat, his name sounds like you're a slob, I'm a slob, but <laughs> that's not it. But anyway, you'll see, you'll know it is like a you're a slob, I'm a slob. Um, and the title was, the headline was, Ukrainian Jews are horrified by Putin's Nazi rhetoric. The Russian army that was beating the Nazi in 1941 is bombing civilians in Kiev, Kharkiv, and Odessa today, says a rabbi. Now, the headline sounds like Putin is spouting Nazi rhetoric, but it's Nazi rhetoric. Putin's saying he wants to get the Nazis out of Ukraine. Right. So there's a paragraph in the article, if you actually go so far as to read the article. That is very manipulative. So very they make it seem, based on the headline, yes. that he's yes. like reciting Hitler speeches yeah, or something. Putin like that. Is. Yeah, Putin is. He's engaging in Nazi rhetoric, but he's yeah. engaging in Nazi rhetoric with the air quotes I'm doing here. Okay, so it says, though, though there are, uh, this is a um, sentence from the article, though there are neo-Nazi groups and political movements in Ukraine, they have much smaller support than in most European nations and don't pull nearly enough to be resented in parliament. Okay, how do you, how do you back that up? You're going to Give me a list of all the European countries and tell me how many Nazis there are in them. Maybe, maybe you can look at the uh, look at the polling. So, for example, there is. So I put I went to locals, our locals thing. Hopefully, it all came up. It was lagging. Properport.locals.com. It's free to look at the stuff we put up there. And I put all these pictures of Victoria Newland with her dream team that we talked about in the XR last week where she said that she was going to put in place Yatsenyuk on the inside, Kleech on the outside, and Tanibuk on the outside. So Kleech is the mayor of Kiev. He was installed in May 2014 or June 2014. Yats was installed as temporary prime minister or president. And Tanibuk was the guy who was, he was controlling the muscle. And he is basically a Nazi. Now, his... Not he's far right for sure. And I'll tell you a little bit about that, that she's his guy. He's her guy. But he in in re response to the thing of like, do they pull enough? He did. Um, he tried to run for parliament in 2019, tiny book, and he placed first on a joined list of Svoboda, which is his right wing um, party. With the National Corps, 
the governmental initiative of Yerosh and right sector. Now, the National Corps spawned the Azov Battalion. So the Azov Battalion, you can look that up on Wiki. It is neo-Nazi. It has Nazi-like insignia, but with the colors of Ukraine. And they, they were created in May 2014. And what they did, and this is in Wikipedia, they're the ones who led the um, fight against the Ukrainians in Donbass. So, so I've been talking about the Russians on the east of Ukraine who, who, after our coup, banned the Russian language. Those people needed autonomy. And the coup sent in regular Ukrainian troops to put down the uprising there. And when they got there, they just laid down their arms. Some even switched sides because it was their Ukrainian brethren. And uh, I think there's a recording of Jeffrey Pyatt saying, no, don't throw, don't send anybody there who's from the East. You only use Western Ukrainians. Well, they ended up using the Azov Battalion, which is a Nazi battalion. You can look at that. And they're the ones who crushed the Donetsk airport. They, they did a lot, if not most, of the fighting in Donbass. So those are Nazis. They're the ones who are the are giving the Russians a problem. So that's why Putin says that. And Tani Book, to the extent that you don't think there's any connection with Victoria Newland, he was a member of the Social National Party of Ukraine since October 1991. That's when he joined the Social National. Now you understand Nazi is National Socialist, Social National. It is the Nazi Party there. And he was elected to the Ukrainian parliament as a member of the Social Nationalist Party. Uh, but it was a long time ago. It was in 1998. And then he joined the Our Ukraine Parliamentary Faction within the parliament. But in 2004, he was thrown out of that, the Our Ukraine Parliamentary Faction, after he made a speech in the Car Carpathian Mountains at the gravesite of a commander of the Ukrainian insurgent army. In the speech, which was aired on television, he made comments such as, you are the ones that the Moscow Jewish mafia ruling Ukraine fears most. And he was rallying troops, I guess. And they were not afraid and we should not be afraid. They took their automatic guns on their necks and they went into the woods and they fought against the Muscovites, Germans and Jews and other scum who wanted to take away our Ukrainian state. So this is the guy that Newland named as one of the three that she was putting in charge of Ukraine after they got rid of the Democrat, democratically elected government. He said in 2012, that speech is as relevant today as it was then, and I would repeat it now. He also signed a letter in 2005 to Yushchenko calling for a parliamentary investigation into the criminal activities of organized Jewry in Ukraine. And uh, around that time, oh, in 2013, so that was the year that Victoria Nuland tapped him to be one of the three running Ukraine, uh, he and another Svoboda party leader were barred from entering the U.S. for their open anti-Semitism. This is according to the Kiev-based newspaper Svobodnia. Uh, he is, this is kind of fun and interesting, he's pro-NATO <laughs> and a soft Euroskeptic. And uh, it says, according to polls, both of those stances put him at odds with the majority of Ukrainians, although um, he was voted person of the year 
for 2012 by readers of the country's leading news magazine correspondent. Tiny Book was ranked number 43 in 2012 of the list of top 100 most influential Ukrainians. Now, that's why maybe uh, Newland picked him because he was popular and he had a faction and it was a faction that what he was telling them to arm up and be ready for war. He also introduced, or he would like to introduce an ethnicity section into Ukrainian passports. I mean, this guy is a piece of work. So I would say it's hard to argue that uh, Nazis aren't a part of the Ukraine landscape since the 2014 coup. And I put some links in the show notes. And these people in these think tanks, they say with a straight face, the accusations that there are Nazis in Ukraine is just Russian propaganda it shouldn't be believed. Well, look up the Azov Battalion in Wikipedia <laughs> before they move it, because they talk about the actions in Donbass, which started when it was created. I mean, it was created for this purpose. And Tiny Book was on a ballot with those guys. Like there's a, you know, there's three or four far right parties and that that's one of them. And I mean, my guess is he was calling the shots there. Maybe somebody else took the reins from him, but Klitschko is still the mayor of Kiev. Unbelievable. Well, we did have that story yesterday about the black people over there trying to get out of Ukraine, saying that they were being segregated into lines. They were saying no blacks on buses. Somebody actually left in the chat of the show a change.org thing that says uh, stop discriminating, provide safe passage for Africans and people of color out of Ukraine. It's a fundraiser. It's got. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. 80,000 signatures. Because uh, to the extent they need visas, uh, to get over the border, how are they choosing at the border who gets to go into Poland? Yeah, right. So I'll link that petition in the show notes because it actually has links to what it says are videos, a bunch of videos and footage of this happening at the border. Because they did, they did say in this article in the Wall Street Journal that the Ukrainian Jews are organizing to relocate out of Ukraine. So if you have political power or an organization, you probably can get to the head of the line. And my my argument, oh, this is actually for the XR, is that if you if you cause a panic and you and you tell people of the world that um, refugees from your country are welcome and you wanted to get out of the country anyway, you wanted to go to a better place anyway, then of course you're going to jump on that bandwagon. So I imagine a lot of people would like to ride the wave of getting positioned in a better place than Ukraine, even regardless of war. So I bet there is some favoritism and, um, you know, work in the system. Absolutely. Do we have any shout outs today? Not today. Can you believe it? Not today. All right. Well, you guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at the propreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. Again, check us out at patreon.com slash propaganda report and rockfin.com slash propaganda report for those offers Monica was telling you about. And you can find our latest deep dive where we deconstructed some of these think tanks that are talking about the Ukraine Russia situation on rockfin, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. We put that up last night. We will talk to you guys tomorrow or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.